I really am, I'm the, a true intro session here, right? The, the, the stuff that y'all came for is gonna be the next three sessions, which are gonna break down the, the positions of pre on post-millennialism. To start things off though, and if you do have uh, an outline, you, you can find one, I'm sure somebody in the back can help pass those around. The, the title of this intro session, the, the Serpent Crusher is Coming Back, was, was really inspired by children's book. Uh, which is, it's a very fun book. It's called The Biggest Story. It's written by Kevin DeYoung. And it's a great book for helping us to see the story of the whole Bible, right? The Bible is a, it's a big book. It's long, 66, coming together to make that one. And this, obviously not so long of a book, and it's mostly pictures. It really is made for children. It just does a great job of, of showing that main story arc that we see running all the way from Genesis through to Revelation. So I'm gonna start my session by reading uh, just a couple of pages here because I think they do such a good job of rooting us in those fundamental truths of Scripture, the story that regardless of where we may fall on some of these questions about the millennial kingdom, we can know with 100% confidence, just based on the, the wonderful and clear teaching of God's word, certain things. And, and these, these selections from this book point that out, and then we'll talk through them a little bit more. But uh, from, from the book, he says, and this is jumping in right, right after the crucifixion. It says, now, as you may have heard, and you should definitely tell someone else. The snake crusher, Jesus, who died on the cross, he didn't stay dead. He couldn't. Death had no claim on him. The devil has no case against him. And sin had no wages for him that he couldn't pay. Jesus couldn't stay dead, and God just wouldn't let him rot in the tomb. So on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And you know what the snake crusher did next? Because his work was done, he sat down, and God gave him the name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone and everything would start to sing and shout and worship him. And as you can tell, this is a big story. In fact, it's the biggest story. It's a familiar one to some of us. It's a true one for all of us. But we haven't seen the end of the story, not yet. We live in the beginning of the end of the story, that we are still in the middle of. We know it's not the end because we haven't made it back to the garden. We get glimpses of the garden here and there. But anyone who loves this story longs to see the one who is the center of the story. The snake crusher is coming back again to wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning and to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home we once had and might have forgotten that we even lost. So keep waiting for him, keep believing in him, Keep trusting that the story isn't over. God's promises never fail, and the promised one never disappoints. One day we will see him. One day we will be with him. One day there will be nothing but the best of days, day after day after day. And forever, it will be a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. We could just stop there, <laughs> right? Almost shedding a tear just reading it. But that, that's the beauty that, that really is the, the wonder of these core truths that, that, that we get to worship God forever, having been united to Christ. With that, I do want to start 
breaking down the words. People who know me, I'm, I'm the definitions guy. I like to, if you say a word and I think maybe you're taking it out of context, it's like, what does that word mean? So tonight we're studying eschatology, and that does come primarily from two Greek root words. You can see them on the, on the blackboard here, eschatos and logos. Now, logos, we're probably uh, all fairly familiar with in, in the Christian sphere. Uh, Jesus is referred to as the logos, that's the word. Uh, but it also often carries with it ideas of, of doctrine and teaching. And so you can see, right, in that logos and ology, in English, ology has come to be that suffix that we use to, to denote the study of something. Well, that ultimately comes from this Greek word logos. And then eschatos, which is the, the first part of the word, it simply means last in the Greek. So you link those two together, eschatos and, and uh, a derivation of logos, and now you have the study of the last things. So that is indeed uh, what, what we're looking at tonight. And in this theological context, the study of the last things is, is going to include some stuff that's pretty obvious, right? We have uh, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment of all people, and ushering in uh, all things into eternity. So those are, uh, broadly speaking, the, the subjects that we'll be discussing. Now, you probably think you, you, you've left out one key word there. You didn't mention millennium. That's, that's what we're going to be talking about later. And indeed, the millennial reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom, is a, a focal point. It's a, it's a part of any study into eschatology and the last things. But it, it may surprise you, the word millennium, uh, true and proper, actually doesn't uh, show up in the Bible. We have reference to uh, a thousand-year reign in one place, and it's in Revelation 20, and we'll, I'm sure some of the other speakers will be getting into that. Uh, but for all of the writing and the debating and the, the questions, it's, it's, it's actually something that's really mostly talking of in, in almost subtle kind of illusion type ways, uh, sometimes even in the Old Testament, sometimes in the New Testament. But I think it's an interesting point that Truly, for all the ink that has been spilt on that, it's not necessarily what we would consider one of these core, fundamental, undeniable pieces with regards to its clarity and what it looks like and what it means. Um, so we'll leave that more to the rest of the sessions. Uh, um, but I think it is good to, to acknowledge, uh, despite the fact that it may be difficult and, and the study of the last things is challenging, um, it's still important, right? it's still uh, supremely important because it is in God's word and all we need is one time for this to be something of uh, our attention and our concern. And so, so that's why we're gonna ha we have an intro session like this, but then we're gonna get into it and we're gonna go deep and we're gonna uh, really try and, and let God's word speak and, and teach us uh, what it has to say. For those uh, who are in Dr. Piotrowski's class on hermeneutics, you may, uh, hopefully, are familiar with the term discourse analysis. For those of us who, who haven't taken the class or maybe haven't, you just missed that part. Uh, I'll boil it down to essentially don't miss the forest for the trees, which is going to be a, a, a principle that I hope kind of runs through this whole evening, right? And, and when it comes to studying the Bible, the way that that, that works itself out is, is we, we understand the, the small units, something like an individual word or a sentence in the context of the bigger whole. And so sometimes you hear people talk about like a zoom in and zoom out method of studying scripture where, okay, we got to get down. We're going to literally break words apart and, and try to help 
sharpen our understanding by doing that. But then at the same time, what's, the, what's this book about, right? And like John's a great example where he just flat out tells you in the second to last chapter, and in chapter 20, I think it's verse 31, and he says, these things have been written so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that uh, by believing you may have life in his name. So no matter how narrow we get in the study of John, we can always know that that's where he's trying to take us. And so how does, how does you know, verse 5 of chapter 3 help get us to that point? Um, in something like the study of eschatology, it's important to keep those sorts of principles at the forefront uh, of our mind. So with that, dive in just a little bit into a few more. At the end of this, I'll have seven total bullet points. The first four I've already mentioned, um, and these, these are what I would say constitute a truly essential eschatology. These are the things that there is no question about. There is no one who, who is in the realm of historically orthodox biblical Christianity that denies these things. If you deny these things, then we would say you're not in the community of the historically orthodox biblical Christian faith. Uh, and they are, right? These are the, the return of Christ, the resurrection, the judgment, ushering in uh, to the eternal state, uh, as it were. We've mentioned those already. We, we could spend a whole night on each one of those things. Uh, we're not going to do that, and I'm sure you're all very happy about that. Um, there's three more that I want to highlight, and, and these are a little bit mm, almost practical, maybe we could say. Uh, there are things like the reality of the triumph and the victory of Christ. It doesn't matter ultimately how we may parse out certain aspects of this millennial reign. Christ is king. He is the Lord. He defeated the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame on the cross. We, we know that. There's no, there's no question. Now, what that maybe entails, what that might suggest, how that might impact certain finer points of our eschatology, we're certainly going to hear some of those things, and that does drive some of the difference. But that, that main part, that Christ is the Lord, He is victorious, and He's triumphed over uh, the devil, right? He's, he's accomplished the purpose for which he was sent, which was to destroy the works of the devil and to secure salvation for his people. That, that has been done, and, and, and now we, we do await for the, the final uh, consummation of that reality. I've heard it likened, and, and I think it's a, it's a decent little analogy, it's kind of like D-Day, right? The, the, the great and cataclysmic victory has been established. The, 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 the outcome of the war has been won. There may be these skirmishes and, and things that, that, that we uh, encounter along the way and, and just the trials of life, but, but there is no question who the victor is. It's Jesus Christ. Um, another one very much kind of related to that is the undeniable reality of a now and not yet. In some way and in some sense, each of the three major views that we'll hear later on has to wrestle with that tension. Right? And, and I liked the way that, you know, the, the book, that Kevin DeYoung's children's book, you know, it, it, it highlights that. You, we are not yet looking at the face of Christ and, and beholding Him as we will in eternity when He ushers us into that. So again, it doesn't matter how you might parse out the millennium, we're not there. And so we know the story isn't over, as he says. How exactly that 
manifests, what that looks like, what that means, each of these views is going to have a little bit of a different take. Sometimes a lot bit of a different take. Um, but, but again, the grain, the kernel of the idea is there and, and something that everyone has to reckon with. The third one that I want to highlight is perhaps the most um, truly behavioral, right? Which, which is something that we, we read, we, we will find it all throughout scripture. One of the verses that comes immediately to mind, it's, uh, it's I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul simply says, but we've, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so that's, that, th this is one of those, sometimes in the study of eschatology, you get down these, these rabbit trails and you lose where you're at and you forget more core basic biblical truths that as Christians, we've been called not to a spirit of fear, but, but of power and love and self-discipline, those three working together in tandem, not letting one get ahead of the other, but simultaneously. And so that's important because sometimes we, can, we see how you get so into one view and you start maybe getting into the more uh, uh, sort of assumptive areas that Scripture doesn't necessarily say this, but you're trying to connect the dot based on some of your predispositions. And, and now you're living in a way that's actually just out of step with the Word of God. Uh, you've been driven to a place of apathy. Well, it's like Christ does not call us to apathy. Or you're driven to a place of fear. He doesn't call us to a place of fear in that way. Or you would be uh, driven to a place of pride and haughtiness. He, he doesn't allow us to go there. So this, this idea of remaining at the end of the day biblical and godly and Christ-like, regardless of how we parse out some of these finer points, that's just crucial. We can't, we can't forget about that. Um, if we do, I mean, we, we may absolutely be, be falling into sin. We could even be right at the end of all things. Maybe we, maybe we had the right idea about the millennium, but if it drove us to live in ways that are not Christ-like, that's worse. It was, that, is just, that is just worse. So we, we, don't, we don't want to have anything to do with that. And with that, honestly, the, these seven ideas, the, the four doctrinal points of Christ is coming again. There will be a resurrection. There will be a judgment. And we will be ushered into eternity along with those three uh, additional principles that Christ is triumphant. Uh, there is this now and not yet tension that we have to wrestle with. And, and we are called to, to live Christ-like lives that, that we've been given this spirit of, of not of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. That's actually quite a, that's quite a lot of agreement, right? I mean, if we're going to, later we may wade into, we will wade into areas of disagreement over things. But, but boy, there is, there's marching orders that every Christian who is seeking to know God by his word can uh, get behind and commit themselves to with joy and excitement and passion and humility and grace and gentleness, all of these things. Um, and so as we do break into... Uh, finer areas of, of distinctives, keeping those things in mind and, and not letting ourselves get uh, unsettled, right? Paul talks about how there certain teachings on the last things 
that's liable to upset somebody, uh, especially if it's, if it's truly heretical, if it's truly wrong. People have been led to despair because of that. So, so just knowing that, uh, especially as things may get complicated, and, uh, and honestly, there's probably going to be stuff that is going to go over everyone's head tonight. There's, there's going to be drinking from the fire hose, and we may get lost in some of that. But to know these things exist as our anchor, and so... Our faith certainly shouldn't be unsettled, um, and more than that, we can be encouraged and we can rally around these things. That's, that is super important. Um, and then logistically, for the rest of, of the night, just a, a quick kind of survey of how this is going to look. We are just going to do it by the millennial view, so we'll have the pre, and then the ah, and then the post, and each one of the speakers is going to give give essentially an outline of the basics of their view, walk through uh, certain critical texts, things that are especially important for them. Um, they're going to address the, the subject of Israel and the church. And if that doesn't even, if that topic doesn't even make sense to you, it probably will. As we get into more of this, what is the difference? Is there a difference? Are they the same? What's going on Israel and the church? And there's certainly relevance to that in, in light of current events. And then uh, the last two things, they'll be walking through certain application points and addressing uh, challenges, the Achilles heel of the view, um, things that are hard for them to maybe reconcile with uh, certain other teachings in Scripture. That's going to be the, the general lay of the land. So with that, I, I, one final reminder, hopefully uh, encouraging you towards just some goals for the whole day. Uh, one, that... In all of this, we would become more familiar with the biblical landscape. That's always a good thing. Um, and then as a byproduct of that, that we would grow, first and foremost, in our love for God, but also in our charity towards others, especially towards other Christians who may have a different view. And, and again, we did the fun little pull at the beginning. We do the fun little pull at the end. And, and that in and of itself gives us great opportunity to, to live this out and to live out that charitable spirit that we're to have in issues like this and others. And, and there's plenty of other issues that would fall in that bucket where we are to be uh, those given to a Christ-like spirit of charity and humility uh, when, when discussing them. Um, we, we just want to obey God uh, uh, according to his word and, and let his spirit do his work through that and to transform us uh, more like Christ.